Welcome to episode 97 of Frank Reactions, the podcast where we help you profit from the digital era through better customer experiences online and off. My name is Tema Frank. Did you hear the news this last couple of days about Uber and the charges that it was ignoring staff complaints about sexual harassment? I wrote my first book. It was called Canada's Best Employers for Women, a guide for job hunters, employees and employers back in 1994. And I was so confident then that by now, most of the issues I talked about would have pretty much disappeared. But it seems that they haven't. So I'm now working on my third book, which is basically an update of that first one about best employers for women. But I'm looking specifically at women's advancement in the workplace and what's holding progress back. What are the best doing that the others aren't? I'll be talking at an International Women's Day event put on by Deloitte. And I wanted to raise it here because it's not just a woman's issue. It's a business survival issue. If you don't leverage the talents and capabilities of half your potential workforce, your company is not going to succeed. You won't understand your customers as well. You won't be able to cater to their emotional needs and wants. Which brings me to today's interview with Brian Graken, the author of Meconomics 101, 16 Ways to Improve Your Marketing, Selling, and Business Management for Today's Customers. Now, I have a confession to make. I wasn't actually expecting to like Brian's book. I'm not sure if it was because the subtitle started with the cliche 16 ways to wording, or maybe that economics to me just sounded kind of cutesy and made up, but then who the heck am I to talk with a book called People Shock? Anyway, I gave it a chance, and I quickly found myself thinking about his approach of looking at sales, marketing, and customer service through emotional lenses before anything else and it actually makes a lot of sense. I'd recommend that you check out his book, and there will be a link to it in the show notes, but stick with us, and you will hear quite a bit about it in the next 25 minutes or so. Before I go there, though, there is something that I absolutely have to share with you. I'm sorry, I just can't resist. You know, when you're an author, getting reviews just makes such a difference to you, and Kind of like with podcasters, it's really hard to get people to actually take the time to go online and write a review. So it's even more thrilling when you notice one that popped up without you knowing about it and from someone you don't know. So here's the latest five-star Amazon review received for my book, People Shock, The Path to Profits When Customers Rule. This Amazon customer wrote, quote, excellent book. Frank gets down to the fundamentals and applies leverage for performance, starting with the elements of success in the people, the promise, and the process. She shows how to strategically and tactically manage to move mountains. This is no superficial treatment by a trendy guru. It demonstrates a masterful and keen insight into how things really work in organizations by someone who spent a lifetime in the trenches working her wizardry. She has the intensity of a driving, penetrating curiosity, drilling down to find out what really matters. I keep this book on my shelf with other leading thinkers who have built management theory on practice. Well, I got to tell you, I am so thrilled with that, and, and particularly the comment that 
this isn't just another trendy guru. I I try so hard not to be just another trendy guru, but to in fact offer really practical advice, as does today's guest. So let's get on with the interview. Hello, Tema, and it's great to talk to all your listeners on Frank Reactions. I'm Brian Graken. Uh, for about 20 years now, I've been a marketing and training consultant. I uh, cut my teeth in the flooring industry as the training director for the Stainmaster Carpet business, but I've been independent for 10 years, serving a variety of clients, both inside the flooring industry, but uh, largely outside the industry. Uh, clients have included Coca-Cola, Walmart, Citibank, uh, Enbridge in Canada, uh, some of those projects as an associate with GP Canada, a division of GP Strategies, a learning corporation. That's interesting, your, your comment that you started in the flooring industry. I gave a talk this week at the Residential Construction Industry Conference. What, what did you see as differences, perhaps, between that audience versus others? Uh, most of my work was aimed at the retail community, people selling flooring to consumers, although I had responsibility for our own organization and, and field uh, marketing staff as well. Uh, and what I saw from those people was the genuine interest in serving customers, but in many cases, a lack of understanding of how to do that, how to make for a great customer experience. So we went very quickly beyond here's information about our products and how to sell it into here's how to meet the needs of customers. And we knew that if people met the needs of customers, they'd also sell more of our products. But we managed to uh, get it right in terms of a horse before the cart. It has to be about the customer experience and taking care of what the customer needs. Yeah, absolutely. And that's true. I think in in the residential construction industry, there are a lot of small companies where they really they know their product, but have had no real training about how to interact with customers. Yeah, and you said a lot of companies... Uh, Depending on who you talk to, before the recession several years ago, there were upwards of 20,000 flooring retailers in North America. Wow. After, after the recession, probably more like 11, 12, 13,000. There was a major uh, culling based on poor business conditions. Uh, but the people who survived are good business people, and yet they're still looking for ways to improve their business results. And often that's skill-based and delivering on the customer experience. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Whoosh. Very competitive industry. Sure is. So, Brian, let's get to talking about your interesting book called Meconomics. Is that how you pronounce it? Meconomics? Yes, it is. Okay. Meconomics 101. Tell us briefly about the book. So, the subtitle is 16 Ways to Improve Your Marketing, Selling, and Business Management for Today's Consumers. So, first of all, how do you think today's consumers are different from consumers of yesterday. Well, I'll take it back to the recession where I think we saw a shift in consumer buying habits. Uh, it was a stressful period. Uh, you know, people can't make mortgage payments, uh, jobs being uh, cut. Uh, 8,000 flooring retailers went out of business during that period, as I just mentioned. And that led to a lot of consumer stress. And I was uh, very interested in why people spend on the things they do spend on. I had occasion to visit a shopping mall and on a weekend couldn't find a parking place and restaurants were crowded and the nail and beauty salons had lines out into the hallways in the mall. Mm -hmm. And I'm asking myself, what's going on here? Because supposedly people don't have money and yet look at the crowds out spending money. Mm -hmm. uh, I was curious about why people spend money the reasons for the reasons that they do. And in particular, the research question I posed was, are there any companies that have been recession proof? And if so, what are they doing in terms of their goods, their services, or their marketing that made them recession-proof? 
Right. And that's where the concept of Meconomics came from, because my analysis of those companies and many companies since indicated there were several themes running through their businesses and their marketing strategies and advertising campaigns that became the genesis for what I call Meconomics. So, can you give us a capsule summary of what Meconomics is? Sure. Uh, First, I'll call it the three lenses of Meconomics. How were those companies looking at the marketplace, looking at consumer buying habits? And, and my analysis and research showed that if, if those companies were appealing to a consumer's self-image, either reinforcing it or helping them create the self-image, or if they were entertaining the customer or helping to pamper the customer, that those were three very strong marketing strategies. Mm-hmm. Self-image, entertain, or pamper. And two is better than one, and three is better than two in terms of what you can deliver to the marketplace. Okay. So where does that leave products that are pretty bland products? Is this irrelevant to them? I mean, household cleaning products, let's say. Although there, I guess, there is the image aspect if you're going for the eco-clean. Right, which can be part of your self-image, right? If you're appealing to uh, an environmentally concerned consumer, that's their self-image, and your marketing maybe should be targeted that way if that's your target customer base, as as a good example. Uh, It's consumer's ruling. Uh, It's very similar to what you mentioned in your book, People Shock, Tema, that you have to focus on what the customer needs and the customer experience, and I'm talking about it from the perspective of economics and those three lenses. You talked about it from the business strategic perspective as well. Uh, We're talking about the same thing here, I think. Absolutely. One of the uh, things that I found very interesting, fairly early in your book, you made the comment, and this is a a quote from the book, uh, elements like price, warranty, and technical features might come into a marketing or sales conversation as tiebreakers. However, they're not lead strategies for today's consumers. And I, I found that an interesting concept. I mean, we've talked for a long time about how price isn't everything. And yet at the same time, we see you know, Walmart has been one of the few retailers that hasn't really fizzled a lot, although they've felt price competition even from dollar stores. Right. But it does seem that for a lot of the market, price is not the lead strategy. Do you, do you want to comment on that? Sure. If you think about those three lenses I mentioned, self-image, entertain, and pamper, they really uh, address emotional wants that consumers have. I won't even say their emotional needs, their emotional wants. Uh, One of the luxury car manufacturers has a commercial that says the perfect combination of wants and needs with wants intentionally first. So those three lenses are emotional reasons to buy. Well, how thick a wear layer is on flooring or the warranty on your new phone are not emotional drivers of a purchase. You know, you probably don't know what the warranty is on your phone. I don't, (laughs) but I didn't buy it because of the warranty. I bought it because of what it can do for me. I don't know what kind of chips in it. I don't know what kind of glass the screen is made with. I don't really care, but I know it does certain things that I want it to do for me, and boy, it appeals to me. So those three lenses are very emotional. Uh, When you think about the selling process, I advocate an approach that's a uh, not the traditional approach of features, advantages, benefits selling, but I turn that backwards and say it's benefits, advantages, features. Talk about the emotional benefits of what a good or a service does for a customer, and then to the extent necessary, explain the advantages of your proposal and the features that support those advantages to the extent necessary to help the customer understand the benefits, but in that approach. So that's why I say things like warranties and so forth are not the lead selling features for today's consumers. No, of course not. And the whole call to emotion, I mean, one of the things that I learned the hard way over the years 
when I first started trying to sell the services of web mystery shoppers, which was essentially a usability testing company that I set up in 2001, which was too early for the market. And I went in trying to sell the logic of you've invested all this money in your website. Of course, you want to find out whether or not it's working for users. And it just wasn't going with a lot of the people I was pitching. Looking at it now, I would have gone in with the emotional. I would have gone in with actual user comments. This is what's happening on your website, and this is how you're making prospects feel. Then I would have backed it up with the data. Yeah, that's terrific. I'm thinking of a recent podcast you did in which you talked about an experience where you were the customer and you were having problems with the software manufacturer. And and I could tell, even though you were being very objective in your discussion of that experience, <laughs> how emotional of an experience that was for you. <laughs> Uh, you, you immediately made me think of a customer service experience I had. This was a fast food burger joint that I stopped in one day for lunch. And apparently the woman before me had ordered and she received her order. She came back up to the counter and she opened up her hamburger and she said, excuse me, I asked for extra pickles. And the clerk behind the counter said, well, you have extra pickles. Two is extra. One is standard. And she <laughs> said, can I have some more pickles? And they said, no. And so since I'm kind of in the business, in the line of work of training and customer service, I had a pile on. So I said, you can give her my pickles. And they said, no, we're not allowed to do that. You have to have your own pickles. And I'm thinking, this is customer service. What's going on here? And I also noticed how emotional this had gotten. This was before we were all very active in social media, or it would have been all over the place, I'm sure. But all the woman could do at that point in her exasperation was throw the hamburger at the clerk and walk out. You know. What's going on here? That's that's the power of emotion, and that's the power of a great customer experience or the damage of a bad customer experience. And also demonstrates the importance of giving your front lines a little bit of flexibility and freedom. Oh, absolutely. You know, two, two is extra. You already have extra. <laughs> that's wild. But, but that's the strength of the emotional lenses, the emotional appeal. And benefits are about satisfying the wants and the needs and the emotional wants and needs of the customer. It seems to many of us so obvious that the situation, for example, that you just gave us an example of, that you don't treat customers like that. I mean, that should be obvious. Why is it that it still happens so much, even in the social media era? I mean, you do a search on, you know, hashtag bad customer service, and you'll get hundreds of listings every day. Why does this still happen so much? I'm afraid that too many people forget why they're in business. Uh, why they're there to meet the needs of customers. Is there a, a strong and alive business mission and set of values? Uh, does the brand of the business really have any meaning uh, to the employees who are then the people in charge of living out the brand and actually delivering the customer experience? Uh, I, I think there's too much separation perhaps between the boardroom and the counter at the burger joint. Uh, and so while it makes sense it just doesn't happen, I think, because of that separation. And that's one of the things I'm trying to solve with my book where it's it's pretty tactical in terms of here's things you can do to deliver on these emotional wants and needs of consumers. So let's go back to your book then and talk about the three lenses. What is different? Because it seems to me there's a whole lot of overlap among those three. Well, that's good when there is because, as I mentioned earlier, the more of those lenses you can employ, the, the better off you are. They're all emotional, and, and so they're all going to appeal to that portion of a, a consumer or a customer, and there will be a relationship among them. Uh, Self-image is really about how I see myself. 
do I see myself as an early adopter? Do I see myself as a trendsetter? Uh, do I see myself as somebody who uh, wants the security of uh, going with a well-established fashion trend? Uh, do I am I a do-it-yourselfer, uh, or uh, do I take great delight in being able to figure things out with my new software? You know, self-image is what that part's about, mm -hmm. uh, and and so a business that can identify, even market to, and then deliver on the customers current or aspirational self-image, I think is, is right in there with the emotional wants and needs of the customer. So that's where I think it starts. In fact, the first piece of advice I give people is do an audit of your current customer base and their self-images or start paying attention to that because it starts with the customer. Why? Because they have the money. That's a good place to start. <laughs> yes. Entertain is, is a little bit different. Entertain is about the actual experience when you're interacting with the customer. Uh, so if you think about self-image and marketing, uh, they create uh, interest and expectations on the part of the customer. Now the customer is in contact with you. What kind of experience are they going to have? And I, I use the term entertainment because you want it to be an enjoyable experience. I had fun working with the fashion designers in that clothing store. I had fun going to Frank and Oak because I can get a haircut that went on there too in an old-fashioned barber shop. You know, whatever, whatever that entertaining component is. There is a nuance to entertainment which particularly applies to business-to-business -business transactions, which is make it a simple, low-stress conversation and interaction and process that I'm going to go through. Yeah. So part of entertainment is keep the stress level down, <laughs> especially in a business-to-business -business context. Certainly business gets done over dinner and on the golf course, but also in your routine business transactions, make it low-stress, be honest, be straightforward with me. Uh, that's what I'm interested in. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then when you look at Pamper, it's about treat me special. And that can be as simple as pay attention to me. Don't give me a standard stock solution because that's easy for you or push what you have a lot of inventory of. But find out what is right for me and, and deliver that to me. And that applies whether it's a business-to-consumer or business-to-business -business transaction. Uh, in business-to-business, -business, make it a custom solution, not a standard stock solution that's easy for you. All of those are emotional, but mm -hmm. start with the self-image. Give me a simple or entertaining, enjoyable experience and pamper me with a custom solution that's exactly right for me. Now, just playing devil's advocate here, if you are in a low margin kind of business, can you even afford to do that pampering? Like I can see, you know, you go to a high end hotel, you get pampered at a budget hotel. Can you be pampered and still have the business function effectively and profitably? You sure can if you have targeted the right customer self-image. Certainly the self-image of the customer that's going to a budget hotel is not the same as the self-image of somebody going to a very high-end, very luxurious hotel in terms of how they like to treat themselves. So if that self-image and your marketing create different expectations, you can pamper in different ways based on how – uh, you address that customer's self-image. In, in one case, you know, what, what kind of soap do you have in the bathroom? Uh, you'll have different brands of soap, perhaps, but you'll have exactly what people want and need and expect based on your marketing. So I think you can do that. It's just a matter of targeting and being very specific because, uh, as you've pointed out many times, you can't be everything to everybody. Right. I saw a great slogan recently. It says, you can do anything, but you can't do everything. Exactly. And, and that applies so much to what we're talking about here. Yeah, for sure. So what are some of the differences that you see, if any, between B2B versus B2C? Uh, first of all, they're all, you know, business to humans or human to human. Uh, and so I will uh, 
state that I think that this applies, these emotional wants and needs apply in both cases. Uh, when it comes to business to business, uh, the self-image is really tied up in brands. Uh, your brand and the client's brand, the customer's brand. And is there brand alignment? What I often find is when people are thinking about their clients, they don't really understand the client's brand. Or the client may not have an established brand, a, a well-known tagline, or even a visible tagline, and they have to come up with a brand or a tagline for the client. That can be a valuable exercise. When I think of your business, here's what I think of, and that's why I think we're the right party for you to do business with. So self-image is really about brands, and brand alignment is about getting the business. Okay. Entertainment, as I mentioned earlier, is really about give me that simple, low-stress, easy-to-understand, transparent, I-can-look-you-in-the-eye-and-trust-you kind of interaction and experience and pamper is about custom solutions as i mentioned a few minutes ago you know it made me think of there was an episode that i did quite some time ago with a company that was a computer parts manufacturer this was quite a while ago that she was talking about and they had been selling themselves as being basically the low-priced alternative but what they finally realized is people were finding it very frustrating just the whole purchasing process was way too complex. Mm -hmm. And by simplifying that, their business was able to just skyrocket. They realized it wasn't even about price. It was about make it easy for the purchasing rep. <laughs> exactly. And that's valuable. And you should be compensated for that value once you get it in place. Yeah, absolutely. Now, how do you deal with, I mean, if you're trying to cater to people's self-image and do some pampering, and you're doing a sale, let's say, to a large organization, you're going to be dealing with a bunch of different people in there who have different self-images. How do you balance the self-image issues of the individuals when you're doing a group presentation? Let's start by assuming that they all have the same business goal in mind for their organization, whatever it is. They just have different ways of going about it based on their self-image. Okay. You may have the purchasing agent whose self-image is, is the hero. I will bring the right goods and services to the company at the right price. So if you identify their self-image as that of a hero, you ask yourself, what can I do to help them be a hero? And how can I enlist their help and their coaching to help them be a hero in their organization? So it still comes down, I think, to identifying the key players, the decision makers. That's kind of standard sales methodology. But in this particular case, what's their self-image and their role, and how can you help them accomplish that self-image or reinforce it with your proposed solution? Are there ways or that you can suggest that would help you identify quickly what their self-image is? Uh, there are a number of questions you might ask. It starts, I think, with your marketing. If you have a target group of self-images in mind with your marketing. It's probably a good assumption that people who have sought you out in particular have those self-images. Your marketing has appealed to them. Mm -hmm. if, if not, you go in with uh, a series of questions targeting various self-images to find out which ones hit the mark. Uh, so in my book, I list a, a series of uh, self-images that I have found frequently in marketing strategies and advertising campaigns as a starting point and a variety of questions you can ask to, to kind of hone in on the appropriate self-image. Uh, otherwise, like often happens in a conversation, you show genuine interest in the other party and let them talk about themselves and their objectives, and from that will emerge often a picture of their self-image. So in doing positioning for an organization, are you suggesting that we develop targets based on things like self-image and pampering and entertainment and just completely forget about demographics? 
No, I, I wouldn't completely forget about demographics, but I would start with what I call emographics. Uh, let's get rid of the D, uh, which is basically the emotional composition of your target audience. Mm-hmm. The emotional wants, self-image, entertain, and pamper. Then overlay on top of that, add to that demographics. But I like to start with the emographics because I think the emotional drivers for a purchase are much stronger than the rational drivers for a purchase. You know, so many times we make a decision and then we try to figure out, you know, why. <laughs> uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll take a risk here. We haven't talked about this question before talking this afternoon, but last time you bought a car, did you spend more money than you planned on spending for the car? Actually, no, because I'm really cheap when it comes to cars. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not into unique, pampering when it comes unique. to cars. That's the risk I took because most people, 9 out of 10 people I ask that, say, yeah, sure. And then I say, why? And their answer is always because I found something I really wanted and I was able to find the money to get it. Yeah. One of the things we're talking about here with these three lenses uh, is, is the economics approach. What we haven't talked about is applying it to a business broadly. And that's one of the things I think fairly unique about economics. It's, it's something that you and I have in common with your book, People Shock, as well, that we have an umbrella strategy here. Meconomics, these three lenses apply to marketing and selling and staffing of a business. So one yeah. of the things that's unique about it and people shock is, is how broad this strategy, this umbrella strategy is, and the number of things you can do underneath it for an integrated business strategy. And that's yeah. not all that common in the business literature. A lot mm-hmm. of people talk about marketing or selling or human resources, uh, but you and I both have strategies to kind of cover the waterfront for the customer touch points of a business. So the question is, how the heck do you get the business to start thinking that way? Well, I think you can't do everything at once. <laughs> and, yeah. and so you need to you know, find starting points. I like to advise people to take uh, three initial steps. First one, do that audit of your customer self-image base, uh, either past customers or start paying attention to it going forward. Yeah. Uh, and let that direct your marketing strategies. Second, look at your sales processes. Are they enjoyable for the customer? And anytime you're going to make a change in the process, do you improve the customer experience? Right. If not, you really have to consider is that something you should do? Mm-hmm. And then third, integrate, integrate your staffing procedures uh, into uh, these business strategies so that the people who are going to operate the processes deliver on the customer expectation. So three steps, customer audit. Uh, look at your sales processes and changes in processes, and then integrate your staffing practices to support those two. Do you have any suggestions or advice for how to perform that customer audit? It starts, I think, with uh, reviewing your interactions with customers, whether they be on the phone, in a store environment. If, if you have a, a standard list of self-images that you think your, your customer base might employ. Uh, if you're a large home center, for example, uh, there's the do-it-yourselfer, there's the uh, low-budget self-image, you know, et cetera. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and start having your people, after an experience, review it and jot down uh, what those self-images were. Uh, I'm also a strong advocate in uh, weekly, bi-weekly staff meetings, having conversations about exactly this topic. So what kind of customers were you dealing with this week? We love them all, so I don't want to know about, you know, did you have fun? But I wanna, what were their self-images and what can we do better to appeal to those self-images, to attract more of them through our marketing and then to interact with them uh, once they've expressed interest in our business? Yeah. So I would go that route to do an initial audit, and then I think it's going to very quickly get into a deeper analysis, uh, which is fine. Uh, they might in- employ a business like yours, Tema, to come in and help them uh, do that. But uh, let's go a little deeper and really understand our customers because, like I said earlier, they have the money, and that's where we need to start. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. 
Um, Brian, is there anything that you wish I had asked you and I haven't? Uh, one of the things that's of great interest to me at the moment is how does this connect to the whole world of social media marketing? Okay. Because uh, we've talked about uh, a retail experience and uh, a face-to-face experience or maybe a phone experience. But what about social media marketing? Uh, mm-hmm. Every time I've heard somebody talk about social media marketing, they talk about different platforms, the number of people using them, the demographics of the users and so forth. And they all somewhere in the conversation say that content is king. Mm-hmm. We hear that over and over and over again. And yet I've never heard one of them say anything to guide us in terms of what that content should be. Right. Other than that it should be original and catchy and outstanding and unique. Yeah. So, But what should I say? <laughs> what should I do? And, and I come from a training background as well as a marketing background. So I'm always interested in skill development and tactics. What am I actually going to do? And so what I advise is uh, application of Meekonomics to help you craft your messaging that you're going to provide in that content. Target it to certain self-images. Uh, what's going to be enjoyable about working with you? How will you pamper people? Use the Meekonomics lenses to help you craft the content that's going to go out to whatever the appropriate social media platforms are in your marketing campaign. Well, one of the things I really liked about your book, too, is that you've set it up uh, like a workbook almost. So that helps you walk through a lot of those questions. I thought that was very nicely done. Yeah, that's intentional. That's my training background, showing (laughs) skill development. So you'll notice that there's case studies that run throughout different sections of the book, uh, forms to fill out, examples galore, uh, et cetera, because I I want it to be exactly in a workbook. I want somebody, even before they finish the book, to be able to start improving their business by using some of the strategies. Very nice. Well, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. It's my pleasure. As Brian said, fundamentally, his book and mine both talk about three lenses or three important variables that you need to get right to serve your customers well and have a profitable business. And they really all boil down to understanding the people better, customers, staff, and all the others who influence how they think and how your organization does its business. Before I go, just wanted to mention a few upcoming events that might interest you. I will be headed to South Africa in mid-March to speak at the Seamless Africa Conference on the Future of Payments, E-Commerce, and Retail, which takes place in Cape Town on March 14th and 15th. And I'm hoping to be able to meet with some local companies there and bring you some interviews from a completely different part of the world about what's happening in the customer experience scene there. If you're listening to this podcast and happen to live in or near Cape Town or will be there for the conference, do let me know. I'd love to link up with you. You can send me an email, temazinmarketinga at frankreactions.com or tweet to me just at tamafrank. T-E-M-A-F-R-A-N-K. Next up will be the CX Strategies Summit taking place in Toronto, April 25th and 26th. And a little bit later, the B2B Online Conference in Chicago, May 8th to 10th. And one of my personal favorites, the CXPA Insight Exchange, which is taking place in Phoenix on May 15th to 17th. And I just want to give you a heads up, it is not too late to get the early bird rate for that conference. I think it ends on February 25th. And you can also, I think, still apply for a Customer Experience Innovation Award. 
we're always looking for neat new things that companies have tried in the world of customer experience and want to share that with the world. And that one for sure I'll be at, and I look forward to seeing some of you there. So that's it from this part of the world, and I will speak to you again in another two weeks. As always, I'd be thrilled if you would take the time to go to iTunes and give this podcast a review, and or if you would take the time to give me a shout out and let me know what you're thinking about the podcast and what you'd like me to cover in upcoming episodes. Have a wonderful couple of weeks. Bye.